This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. I appreciate you tuning in today. We are in Lesson 3 in our People of God series. Previously, we've talked about, in our introduction, the necessity for God to reveal Himself in order for us to know Him and understand Him and the kind of people He has called us to be, the importance of free will. And in Lesson 2, we talked about Abraham and the the origins of God's people from a physical perspective and physical lineage. And then from there, we moved into looking at a little bit of passages, a few passages that spoke to the kind or quality of person that God expected to be his people, that it wasn't just about having some sort of physical, physical connection um, or heritage uh, from a certain individual, even though that was part of God's plan uh, his ultimately what he wanted his people to be was a certain kind or quality of person, not just have some biological link to an individual. And I want to continue developing that teaching this morning and looking at more passages from the scripture that speak to that very point. The, that is that God, again, ultimately had in mind a particular quality of person that he would claim as his own. So remember when God called Abraham and began to build the nation that would ultimately become his people and through whom Christ would ultimately come, he blessed those people in in so many different ways. And he called them his chosen people and called them to play an important role in his scheme of redemption. Um, However, the choosing was not motivated by merit or worldly greatness or anything like this. As Moses explains in Deuteronomy 7, he says, But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers. And so that begins to plant in our mind that, again, this wasn't something God did because he thought those people were going to be so intelligent or beautiful or, you know, some other sort of worldly kind of merit. But Moses said, God keeps the covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. And he repays those who hate him to their face to destroy them. And so chapter 7 and 8 of Deuteronomy are filled with those kinds of warnings that should the people turn from God, that there would ultimately be punishment. So it wasn't a kind of, uh, you know, just established default you know, you, you've passed the bar and there's you can do no wrong. And no, regardless of what you say or do, there won't be any negative consequences. That That is foreign to Scripture. Clearly, God sought a special kind of people, even among the nation that he says was chosen. Even among the nation that was chosen to ultimately lead to uh, the, the birth of his son and, and bringing forth his son into the world, he still sought a, a peculiar kind of quality, a person that loved him and that desired to keep his commandments. So their their blood relationship with Abraham was never going to be enough. God sought a people who would love him from the heart, and he wanted them to be his people, his people in a special way, and be a kingdom of priests who submitted to him and served him, as he describes in Exodus 19, 5 and 6. And so Moses teaches the people these these very same principles, he you know, he asked questions like, "What does the Lord your God require of you, but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all His ways and to love Him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul?" In Deuteronomy ten and verse twelve, 
And so that, again, tells us God is, he desires, he's searching for a truly dedicated people. That's what's being emphasized there. When he calls upon the people to uh, figuratively circumcise the heart, he's talking about genuine dedication, right? He's, he is, even in anticipating the people's desire for a king, Moses was directed to write rules for that individual, in Deuteronomy 17, verses 15 through 20, that he might serve Jehovah and notice that his heart would not be lifted up against his countrymen. And if you look in the context of, of Deuteronomy 17 and those verses 15 through 20, the way that the king was to inoculate himself against having that uh, puffed up, arrogant uh, perspective of his brethren was to write for himself a copy of God's law. And he was to be committed to this, and he, it was to be very intimate and personal. So, again, it comes down to individual love and dedication. And this was going to keep him from being, you know, the kind of king, basically, that we read about all over the New Testament. Uh, generation after generation of of wicked men like Ahab and Jeroboam and so forth. And so, you know, we, we go to the very first one, for example, like Saul, um, who was king before David, but so Saul the first chosen, he was rejected as king because he failed to put God first. And this is exactly what Samuel revealed to him in 1 Samuel 13. When he was telling Saul about his replacement, he says, the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And of course, we know that is eventually revealed to be David a couple of chapters later. Um, and, at, and at David's anointing, God told Samuel that he does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart in verse 7 of chapter 16. So God had not attained his real goal when he built the Jewish nation or when he allowed them to establish kings um, and in establishing a, you know this an entire system of religion. Those things were just means to a greater end of preparing the way for Christ. And a people, uh, and and a people of all nations, who would freely serve him, uh, not just find comfort in being associated with uh, an establishment or a nation or even even a particular religion, uh, but individually be dedicated to uh, and and love God and be loyal to God, and that was the moral responsibility of of each individual really in. Even in the Jewish nation, that's what God is is pointing to. That He wasn't satisfied again with their their physical lineage in in Christ, and you know from Abraham to Christ to the Jews. He said in Deuteronomy thirty, "I have set before you today life and good and death and evil. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear, you shall surely perish. Therefore, choose life." that both you and your descendants shall live. And so again, that is speaking to each person's responsibility and how that is how that is stressed and how we're individually accountable to God and that He wants, again, our, He wants our hearts. You know, Ezekiel said that the soul who sins shall die in Ezekiel 18.20 and the son shall not bear the guilt of the father nor the father bear the guilt of the son. Right, so that is... Again, emphasizing individual accountability. I can't do it for you, and you can't do it for me or anybody else. Each of us has to make the decision. 
you know, God is reminding his people through the prophets over and over again that their individual choices were were going to have an effect on their relationship with him. Isaiah told uh, the, the Hebrews that your iniquities have separated you from your God in Isaiah 59 and verse 2. And Isaiah promised, God promised mercy through Isaiah to only those who would repent and, and forsake their wicked ways. And so in restoration prophecy, it was, if you look at, you know, passages about the remnant, it is those people who are specifically singled out who will be spared. And in those prophecies, a literal remnant is certainly spoken of, you know, a, a physical remnant that is that is spoken of from God's people in order to preserve the ancestral line of Jesus and so that ultimately Jesus could be brought into the world. Uh, yet God ultimately, again, within those remnant prophecies is seeking a people on a, on a different and much more demanding basis than just the, the physical line. Again, if you look at Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul speaks to this uh, very thing. And especially in chapter 11, when he's talking about the figure of the olive tree and that being a figure of God's family and how branches are, are broken off or added based on, again, individual res- response to God, specifically faith. He says, do not become arrogant toward other branches for you stand by your faith. And if you lose your faith, you will be broken off, right? And so we don't have, it's beyond the scope of our time today to go and, and you know, unpack all of that. But it's, it's a very simple figure, an easy figure to get your head around and connect with remnant prophecy in, in Romans chapter 11, if you want to take the time to, to read that. So God ordained um, ceremonies and sacrifices in the Jewish religious system. But again, those things were not ends in and of themselves um, because we find the formalism of that religion uh, condemned. So it wasn't that the things were wrong in and of themselves, but what God disdained was just the going through the motions that many of his people were satisfied with uh, because they thought, again, those things were ends in and of themselves. Uh, God says, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? And he called them uh, fuel sacrifices and vain oblations in Isaiah uh, 1, verses 11 through 20. And again, through the prophet Hosea, God says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. That's chapter 6 and, and verse 6. And again, through Micah, he says, who has shown you, O man, uh, God has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God in Micah 6 and, and verse 8. And so all of that points to many of the Hebrews coming to think of, again, just that physical connection as being sufficient, that physical connection to Abraham that is to, to being sufficient. And you can see that playing out in the New Testament as well, when John the Baptist comes on the scene, he he is warning the people there. He says, "Don't don't tell yourselves that we have Abraham as our father, and if that's and and act like that's sufficient, because God is able to raise up children of Abraham from these very stones." It's it's not about that uh, lineage, although that was again very special and something uh, to be to be cherished. But it it seems that many of them came to think that. So long as they had that connection, well, then just a, a kind of a cursory 
uh, keeping of ordinances, go, you know, going through the motions would be satisfying to God. But that was never the case. And so, again, God is, is seeking a people, a, a, a dedicated people, even among Israel, under that old covenant system, who would be his in a much more genuine and, and personal way than they were letting themselves be, at least g- generally speaking. There, of course, were genuinely faithful people in the old covenant and, and before the old covenant. That's why Abraham is called the father of the faithful. And so when we come to the New Testament and we read about John the Baptist and we see his words and, and how he is preparing the way for Christ, he gives a summary of the kind of people God is is seeking. He And he told them, he told his audience in Matthew 3 to bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. And he, again, chided them for placing their trust under lineage. He says, I say to you again that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. In verses 8 and 9 of Matthew 3. And when Jesus comes onto the scene and begins his ministry as, as an adult, he is calling his brethren to repent in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17. So he's echoing John the Baptist's message uh, as he's speaking to the Jewish people, and he's calling them to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And by and large, much of what he did was expose the hypocrisy and traditions that had become so typical among God's people. And he rebuked them very sharply for that. And he used very strong language like uh, whitewashed tombs, and he called them snakes, and, and he called them hypocrites, and doing things for the glory of men in John chapter 5 and receiving glory from one another. And so over and over again in his teaching, his parables, he is he is warning that the kingdom that they should have been anticipating was going to be taken from them and given to those who brought forth this fruit that God had always expected and that John the Baptist was preaching and that Jesus was preaching. And so this is something that should resonate with us. Uh, because we can be guilty of the same thing. We can be guilty of having a, a kind of self-satisfaction um, because we're associated with a certain religious group, whatever that religious group may be, um, or that our our parents were Christians or grandparents or, you know, we are something to this this effect. And we can be become very proud of that and, and have a kind of self-satisfaction in that all the while failing to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind, as is commanded, as is the first and greatest command. And so Jesus worked with um, men who came from that system and who recognized him for who he was, and, and and he himself kept the principles of the religious system in which he was born into, right? Paul says that he was born under the law in Galatians. And, uh, and he kept the law perfectly. And he told his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, right? So he's speaking to, the again, the importance of God's law and commands and, uh, and keeping those things. But he added, do not do according to their works, for they say, and they do not, in Matthew 23, verses 1 through 3, before he goes on this just blistering, sermon against uh these these men who were hypocrites they were the religious elite but they were they were phony 
As Jesus prepares the way for that greater end, he stressed the deeper meaning of those laws that were given to the Jews. And he's, again, showing us that God doesn't need a card-carrying society. He, again, he wants a special people who partook of his nature, who were humble and meek and merciful, right, as he describes in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the humble, blessed are the meek, etc. Blessed are the merciful. And so, the you know, it's it comes, worship begins before worship begins. And it, it comes from the heart. And these laws ultimately weren't just meant to be observed with, you know, lip service and going through the motions, but, uh, but, but from the heart, and that's what God always intended. All right, Matthew. Just, if you just can continue reading in Matthew five twenty three and twenty four, as Jesus is speaking about the gift on God's altar, it was only acceptable if it came from clean hands, right? And if He says, if you remember there that you have your brother has something against you and you need to leave your gift there and go and be reconciled first to your brother then come and present your offering right so god you know it wasn't just the dealings at the altar and the making of the sacrifice no it was deeper than that he wanted he wanted love for him to permeate the entire our entire lives their entire lives and prayers that were prayed just to be heard of men were unacceptable. Uh, and prayers that were prayed just to have many words and make a big big show, again, those were unacceptable. And forgiveness could not be expected from God if they did not forgive others in Matthew 6 and verse 15. And so he sums up his teaching by saying, at least in that passage, by saying that crying, Lord, Lord, is not enough. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven but those who do the will of my Father. And it's clear for, you know, Matthew seven twenty one, we cite that a lot and we can sometimes come to the wrong conclusion again that, it, that all the emphasis is on doing and, that's imp- and that is important. Um, we, we need to be active and, and industrious and do the will of God and not just be paying him lip service. But what Jesus has been doing all the way up until that point is, is defining what legitimately doing the will of God is, and that is doing it from the heart. Doing it from not just doing it, but doing it from the heart. And so Judaism was established by God, but one can't honestly look at the teachings of Jesus and John the Baptist and the prophets and and, and Moses and conclude that just a quote membership in the Jewish system was enough, was was satisfied God in his desire for a, a true people, his people. The apostle, the apostle Paul wrote in Romans 2 and verse 28 that he is not a Jew who is one inwardly, or excuse me, who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Right. And, the, and the scripture is just so beautifully consistent in reminding us of that point time and time again, that God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. He knows he's, he is, he's concerned about what we do, but he is equally concerned with why we do it. And we can't ever forget that. Many of the Hebrews had come to have an institutional concept of, of God's service and had seemed to think that since God established their nation and established their religion 
that they satisfy God's desire if they just moved about and functioned within that establishment. And if they were accepted by the establishment or by the Pharisees or parties within the establishment, then they were acceptable to God. And that has that was that's never been true. God, we can't expect to be satisfied. God to be satisfied with our association with a certain group. Establishing Judaism, even setting up the Levitical priesthood, didn't mean that God had left His throne, and the conduct and the proclamations of the priests themselves were acceptable only when they conformed to the instructions from God. In Malachi 2, the prophet says, Now, O priest, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear and if you will not take it to heart, then I will curse your blessings. So God had appointed the priest to keep knowledge, he says in that same chapter, and that the people should seek the law from their mouths, but they were failing in this. And so God spoke to them, specifically the priesthood, and said, You have departed from the way, and you have caused many to stumble at the law, and you have corrupted the covenant of Levi. So says the Lord of hosts. Right, so yes, they had the priestly robes, and they were associated with the right people, and they were in the tabernacle, and so on and so forth. But God says, you've missed it. You've missed it because why? Malachi 2 and verse 1, you have not taken it to heart. So God used men to set forth his laws, and he still does, and expects us to. Preach the gospel, this treasure we have in earthen vessels. But men are not the source of his laws. The men who preach the gospel, all men are, are subject to God's word, the same as the rest of the world. And so God was slowly revealing himself in types and shadows through that old system and preparing the, the coming of Christ and and preparing people for the new covenant and the Jewish priests were selected to stand between the people and God for a time and act as intercessors again, all in anticipation of a final and ultimate intercessor in Christ Jesus. But they were never excused from personal obligations. God selected from among the priests those who feared Jehovah, Malachi 3, and sought and thought upon his name to be his own possession. And so the institution, or what some might call their clergy and clergy status and being a Levite and and all the privileges that that afforded, that was never enough. So Israel, the the people Israel, the nation Israel, was, was merely developed as the physical tool, as the ancestry of Christ. And when these people were being welded together into a nation, They were given God's laws, and they were given regulations, and they were given an entire religious system that if they followed, it would draw them closer to God and prepare them to receive Christ. But it wasn't meant just to have a loose association with. The first tabernacle was symbolic for the present time, the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 9. Uh, And the First Testament instituted Judaism you know, underlying both the tabernacle and later the temple system with uh, David and Solomon, you know, the temple that even stood in Jesus' time. And and Judaism was the word of God with its application to individuals. And certainly 
Such institutions promoted an important external recognition of God, but but again, approval by those in the institution is one step and sometimes a very large step removed from God approval. I can't help but think of Micah in the book of Judges, not, not Micah the Old Testament prophet, but another man named Micah in Judges 17 who... Uh, you can read his story there, but basically he and his mother conspire together to make a house full of idols, and they're doing all of this in the name of God in uh, Judges chapter 17. And so they have a house full of idols, and he's thrilled about this, and he's he's done it in the name of the Lord and for the Lord, etc. And then later in the chapter, in verses 10 through 13, a Levite comes along, and uh, Micah wants this Levite to to stay with him and his motivations for that are agreed um, are revealed rather when the Levite agrees to live with him in verse 11, he agreed to live with the man and the young man became like one of his sons. And so Micah consecrated the Levite and the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. And Micah said, notice now I know that the Lord will prosper me seeing as I have a Levite for a priest. Right? So here, so here we have a man with a house full of idols Right, using the right language and using the right terminology, and saying this is for the, this is for the Lord, and I'm serving the Lord with all these idols in my house, and now he's even more excited because he has this Levite, right? Someone who's, who is serving or should be serving at least at the tabernacle, but he has agreed to serve in this man's house, and Micah is thrilled because now he knows the Lord will bless him, as if by being approved by some man who's associated with some institution is going to lead to his approval with God. And people are making that same mistake today, and we can make that same mistake. You know, don't forget the the theme of the book of Judges. It begins and ends with these words that, in those days, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So it's very possible that today's Christians have accepted an institutional concept of Christianity and have lost sight of the qualifications set forth in God's Word for being His true people. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you continue to study these things and think about them. Pray about them, please. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.